Good morning, and welcome to Faithbrook. My name is Josh Friesen, and I'm one of the volunteer hosts here at Faithbrook. Whether you're attending in person or online, we're super excited and thankful that you're here today. At Faithbrook, we don't want anyone to feel like just a number. So if you're newer here, we would love to get to know you as everybody deserves to be known. So in the seat in front of you, there's a blue connection card. Please consider filling it out and dropping it in the giving box on your way out today. At Faithbrook, our mission is to love God, love people, and journey together. And one of the ways that we've been loving God and loving people is by volunteering. Our volunteers are at the crux of what makes Faithbrook so great and imperative to our mission as a church. Along with getting connected, volunteering is a great way to worship God by using your time and your talents. In the seat in front of you, if you're interested in volunteering, there's a red card. Feel free to fill that out and drop it in the giving box on the way out today. Well, in just a second, we're gonna welcome our lead pastor, Jim Comfort, as we continue our series, Faithful. Dr. Jerry White was president of the International Navigators Ministry out of Colorado Springs. In the 90s, him and his wife was just a, an example of a Christ-like lifestyle. They had a couple of older kids, and, and things were going well until they received a phone call one night. Their son, Stephen, was pursuing a degree in college, and to pick up some extra cash, he decided to just do a, have a... a um, uh, hold a part-time cab driver's position. Well, that night, he, their son Stephen got a call from a deranged long-term criminal was hell-bent on killing someone that night. And his plan was to just to call uh, a cabbie and then take him out to a remote place and, um, and kill him. And that's exactly what happened to their son Stephen. He just happened to be on duty that night, got the call, and that this deranged killer took his life. So the phone call came in and said, um, uh, Mr. and Mrs. White, we need you down at the hospital. There's, there's been an incident with your son. And as they got down there, they realized that he was deceased. Uh, there was a, a murder. So how do you process that? Whoever expects that? Uh, what, what do you do with that? And, and, and how's their faith and maybe our faith uh, tried to interact with a tragedy and a horrific crime in that name. Have you ever been there? The question is, will, would their faith hold up? Would our faith hold up? And that's exactly where we're going in this message this morning in this series called Faithful. And I'm going to welcome you this morning. It's good to have you. I'm Pastor Jim, and maybe this is your first time, second time, make yourself at home. We're just trying to uh, journey down life's road and uh, with the help of God to just kind of answer some of the questions. And we're kind of wrestling with this whole question about how do we have a full faith? 
Because a lot of times life can be very depleting, right? Even our flesh kind of draws us away from the things of God and there's dilemmas and issues. And so what are those elements that can can give us a robust faith, something that is strong, something that is, is confident, right? So many times our faith is kind of half full versus fully filled. And so in this series, we've been, we're going to be looking at six elements a couple of weeks ago. We looked at the very first element, and that was living full of faith starts with putting your full faith in Jesus. That this is a decision that we have to make. So a lot of people out there in our culture today, they might say they're spiritual people. Um, They might say, well, I'm, I'm a believer. I might be a Christian because that's the way my parents were. Um, and a lot of times people say, oh, you're religious. Uh, and sometimes we're like, well, it's not so much about a religion. It's about a relationship in Jesus Christ. Somewhere to have full faith, we have to say Jesus Christ is the center, the, the, the cornerstone of my religion and my faith. He, he's the only one that went to the cross and died for my sins. And we don't make it to heaven unless we receive that covering, that redemptive power. And he proved himself by raising from the dead. It's full faith in a person, not a religion. Secondly, last week we talked about the importance, if we want to be full in faith, to stay connected to people of faith, that grows our faith. They influence us. They encourage us and motivate us to stay sticky, to stay connected to people of faith. Now today, we're going to be looking at pivotal circumstances, because pivotal circumstances are are very important to our faith. Either our faith will collapse under stress and sadness and problems, or it has a chance to grow, to be full. So I want to just submit this, this statement right here that says we don't actually know what we believe until what we claim to believe has been tested. So yes, we, we, we have some faith and we have some belief, right? But it's in the testing that really uh, sees if what we really believe uh, actually helps. Is it real? Is it authentic? See, I, I would suggest that you know, life and our faith, everything's okay until there is a tragedy, until there is a diagnosis, until that, there is that divorce or that death or that, that loss. This is where our faith is shaken. Is it true? Can we trust? Especially with all the questions. When it seems like it doesn't make sense. I'm sure for the whites, they were a faithful um, upper class type of a Christian family that, that was exempted the things of God. And, and uh, here it wasn't all of a sudden the loss and the death and the murder of their son. How, how, do, how do you process that? Uh, when, where was God? How many times did they pray over that son and have great plans for this son and, and his life was sniffed out by reckless, careless evil and, and crime? Uh, where, where was God in those times? What happened to the protections? I, I don't know, maybe you've been through that. I, I know there were times in my life where there were some dark days of the soul. Uh, that, that I prayed, and, and it seems like it just got worse, and there were some threats, and there were some issues, and, and there I was left alone with these questions, emotions, and discouragement. Pretty soon, you, there's some doubts that might come into your, your faith, 
and some questions that are not easily answered. And before you know it, you can be discouraged spiritually and your, your cup of faith starts evaporating and getting lower and lower because of these questions and the sadness and these uncertainties in our life. Maybe you personally have experienced some dark days, some times of tragedy, some loss, some dreams that never came true, some unexpected disasters in your family or circumstances. And, and then we are wrestling with that great old age question, well, God, if you're so loving, if you're so great as the preacher tells us, then, what, then why did you allow this? Why didn't you stop evil? Why didn't you stop the disease? Why didn't you stop that pain? I've, I've lost a lot and I'm not sure where to go. And, and there's even underlying questions. God, are you punishing me? Why does so-and-so get to have a good life and it seems like we have a suffering life? Is there something I've done wrong? Maybe, maybe there, there's a hierarchy and something's wrong with me. Before you know it, our faith is shaken. It starts being emptied. Max Lucado said that confusion can shred our faith. Confusion can shred our faith. It's in the balance. And sometimes I would say that when these life circumstances come our way, it can actually be a barrier to our faith being confident and full because it doesn't make sense what's happening. And we can easily start crumbling. You know, when our faith and our soul is up against it, it can be pretty scary. We're not sure where to go. Should we run to God, run away from God, give up on our faith? There have been times in my life, I, I, I would categorize it as a crucible of faith. The word crucible comes from the word cru. It's Latin for cross. It's where we get the word crucifixion. It's what Christ went through. The dictionary describes cruce, the uh, crucible as some, uh, some elements that come together to interact. And in this interaction, there is a stress that's either going to make something stronger, more tempered, or there will be a destruction. Something will collapse. We can have crucibles in our life and in our faith. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about who suffers some crucibles. And I think physically, uh, you could maybe describe it in our, in our Navy SEALs development. Uh, some of you know that the Navy SEALs in America are the elite soldiers of the soldiers. And uh, to be a Navy SEAL, they have to go through a process called BUDS. It's, it's months of training. And at the end of that BUDS training comes to crucible. It's the most um, horrific, torturous, physical and mental week. Uh, they call, actually call it Hell's Week. And the, each soldier is going through this to see if they can make it through, if they could be a Navy SEAL. And because it's so arduous, uh, they, they leave a bell out there and they allow any of the soldiers that are going through that hell week, if they cannot make it, they want to tap out and they're done. They have the, the, the right to walk up or crawl up to this bell and, it, and they ring that bell and it signifies to the instructors, I'm out, I can't take it anymore. And they, they lay down their equipment and they allow them to walk away while the other ones are still crawling around processing through this hellish condition. And if they make it through that week, then they have the privilege to take on the honor and the seal and the title of a U.S. Navy SEAL. I think sometimes God 
allows hell weeks in our life or hell seasons in our life. Because we don't actually know what we believe until what we claim to believe is actually tested. It's that question of will our faith hang in there? Will it endure or will it collapse? And maybe there's a possibility it will get stronger. And what we discover when we go through hellish, torturous times in our life where things do not make sense, we discover, discover either we're going to run away from God or run to God. I think there's a lot of maybe some atheists out there that had some agonizing, hurtful times in their life. And the temptations to say, well, if that's the way you treat me, God, or you treat other people, that doesn't make sense. I'm stopping to believe. And we see a lot of times it's common to run away from God. God gets a lot of the blame. We're angry at him. We, we, we can't make sense of things, and so it's, it's God. And pretty soon the temptations just kind of walk away from faith and drift away from others and kind of separate our things from the, maybe the faith that we grew up with. I, I, I'm reminded of this a lot of times, how people kind of fade away and lose their faith or have a very little faith because they, they just give in to temptation of separation, and it makes an effect. Uh, in my backyard, I have this big, large uh, hedge road. It's, it's pretty robust. It's pretty, pretty big, and I have to trim it. And if I get it all looking pretty nice, it, it's pretty sweet, and, and there's some, some boundary there and stuff. But I noticed through the summer, there, there's some different types of leaves and I realized through the, the years that these are kind of foreign uh, foliage in this beautiful hedge that they don't believe, belong there. And they start looking different and weird looking and all that kind of stuff. So I try to eradicate and I get in there and try to find where are these leaves and I figured out it was instead of branches, it's kind of a vine kind of deal. And it makes it kind of look ugly. So I try to pull it out and it doesn't work very well, but I got a little smarter and I said, well, I'll just trace it down to the ground. And I'll just take those snippers and just cut it. And, and, if, and the first couple of days, it doesn't make any difference. It's just still kind of green. But after a while, you'll notice that those, those leaves of the foreign um, foliage start turning uh, different colors. They, they start losing moisture. And, and they'll pretty soon identify themselves and, and, and finally eventually fade away. Because why? They, they got separated from their source. And that's what happens a lot of times in our faith or can be that that we separate and we lose that confidence. We lose that fullness of with Christ and what he has for us. Yet, you might bump into some people and know some people that they've been through some tragedies. They've been through some disappointments and sadness, and yet their faith hasn't faded. They haven't separated. They have endured. And In fact, they might even have a, a larger faith or a stronger faith. And what gives with that? What's going on? And we find that pivotal circumstances can be one of the greatest obstacles, but at the same time, they can be one of the greatest opportunities to grow our faith, to build our faith. In fact, the times that you've been in your life, some seasons that have been tough, maybe stressful or a spiritual crucible, you find that it's a defining moment for your faith. Either you're going to run away or you're going to run towards God. 
We notice that we don't really care about faith that much when things are okay. There's plenty of other things that keep our attractions, but when the chips are down and there are questions and there are issues, we start looking. Now, I wish humanly that we could grow our faith and have full faith without problems and tragedies and questions and pain in our life. But we do know that easy days don't build lasting faith. Just easy days doesn't draw us to figure out, does our, our, is it our faith something we can count on? Does it work in our life? And is, is Christ for real? So we see incidents in the Bible that sometimes God allows pain and suffering to test us. We see incidents of this in James. We see incidents back in Job, right? We say we're people of faith. We say we believe, but let's see when the, the, the troubles come and the storms rage against us and there's afflictions and heartbreak, where is our faith? And all through these pivotal circumstances, we see examples in the Bible. And this morning, I'm going to pick on one character in the Old Testament. He's a pretty famous character. His name is David, King David. Uh, many of us know David for being a warrior. He was the one that took down the great giant Goliath. But before that, he was a shepherd boy. But after his heroics on the battlefield, the, the nation of Israel wanted to put him as their king. And there was King Saul who was already there. And he got violently uh, jealous of this young King David. And so he pursued him and wanted to attack him and kill him. And we, we, the scholars tell us that King David had to run for his life out into the wilderness. And for seven to 11 years, David, who was heir to the throne that God anointed, had to live in suffering and live in caves and darkness. And every day, every week, he had to ask himself, will I survive another day? And David was a musician and he was a songwriter and he would put a lot of his prayers and his motions and write them out. And we're fortunate enough to have found those writings and on those songs. And, and the, the scholars put them together in the canon and the Bible in the middle of the Old Testament. The, there's the poetic books, the, the Proverbs, the Song of Solomon, and Psalms. Psalms is the largest book of the Bible. And half of those 150 uh, chapters in Psalms are David's writings. It, it's his prayers. Some of them are, are cheerful and praiseworthy and wonderful, and many of them are showing his, his emotions, his fear, his agony. And today we're going to just pick out one, uh, Psalms 143, and just look at David's faith. Here's a man of faith. He's had some victories, but now his life is on a line. The suffering is wearing him down. There's a lot of questions, and somewhere he started writing his prayer and, and evolving in his faith. Would it go up? Would it go down in the crucible of his life? We start in verse 1. He says, Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. David is wrestling with his difficulties. Hear my cry. Have you ever cried out to God? God, I don't know what to do. This is painful. I'm in a dark place. I need your help. He went on, my enemies pursue me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in darkness like those long dead. 
You ever felt crushed before? So disappointed, so full of grief and loss and hurt and dark places for David could have been literally a a cave. And he's thinking about the death and destruction. And and there he is with his mind and his faith. It's, It's in the balance. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. He's probably in in some level of um, depression, discouragement, walking through the dark night of his soul. But David tries to be proactive in the midst of this crucible, in the midst of this hell season in his life. He says, I remember the days long ago. I meditate on your works and consider what your hands have done. He, he's trying to remember uh, the, the, the days that passed that God was faithful. We, we also have the word of God that can help us personally to say, God, remind me of your promises. Remind me of maybe uh, the why this is, this is uh, allowed in my life. I, I spread out my hands, he says to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. See, David has a cho- choice like all of us. He's either going to give up on God and blame God and run away from God, or he's going to run towards God. And here he's laying out his heart. God, I'm, I'm worn out. I don't know where to go. I, I, I'm in the balance. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I'll be like those who go down to the pit. It is the crucible of his soul. Would he endure? Where would he get hope? Would God be there with him? So we see this agony. We see this this tension in his soul and in his faith. But the next verses show something happened. Something pivoted. Something started changing. Something was surrendered when he writes these words. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. For I have put my trust in you. That is key. I have put my trust in you. Yes, I don't understand it. Yes, it's horrific. It's painful. And I got questions. But I want you to know, God, right here, I'm going to put my trust in you. My friends, I I would declare to you that that the, the tenets of Christianity, it's either a fairy tale, it's a myth, and we're just sitting here uh, fooling ourselves, or the tenets of the Christian life and the promises are real. And David is, is coming to say, I am going to believe in that. I will trust in you. Somewhere, we have to engage our faith. And faith is not always easy to engage because it's invisible. It's spiritual. It's supernatural. There are so many other things in this world that we can hold on to that is visible, but faith is something personal. It's down deep. The Hebrew writers talks about what faith is, and, and faith is having a confidence of something that we hope for. Well, well have you ever seen it? No. Uh, it's an assurance of something we do not see. Are you sure about this? Yes. Why? I'm just going to take a leap of faith and trust God. And and this is where God's heart really responds to us. The Hebrew writer says it's impossible to please God without faith. We can do all the traditions. We can do do all the moral codes and behave ourselves and all this kind of stuff. But it comes, sometimes it comes down to say, God, I'm going to trust in you. I don't even see it. I don't want to know what's going to happen in the future, but I'm going to trust you. This is faith. And this is where David was turning towards 
God, I, I don't like it. I feel miserable. I am so dark in my soul, but I will trust in you. And David would find that God's grace would be sufficient. But David would have to go to the place of prayer, that he would have to trust and pray through what was bothering him. And there's been times in my life where the only way I was going to get freedom, only way I was going to have some um, hope and confidence is that I would just have to pray through. And sometimes that happens at church. Sometimes that's happened at an altar. Sometimes that's happened walking down the street or in the basement or in the bedroom where I got alone with God and said maybe there was tears because there was a war going on. God, I'm kind of mad at you and I don't understand it and I've lost this, and, but God, I'm going to trust in you. And he says, would you trust me with it? Give it towards me. This is where David was. And so you see this change in this Psalms 143 where he starts now uh, leaning in towards God. Show me the way I should go. For you, I entrust my life. There it is again. I'm going to trust God. Remember in the Greek, they didn't have a word for trust. They just had a word for, for faith, right? Everything was faith. And faith meant I was going to trust you. This is, this is where David's saying, I'm going to have faith in you, my, my life. And this is the hardest thing, to, to surrender to God the outcomes, uh, the um, uncertainty. This is the crucible, or it can also be a catalyst to our faith. Can I, can I offer you this this morning? If you're up against it, and you have questions, and you need some help, either God is going to deliver you out of it, there's going to be a miracle, or God is going to deliver you through it. Either way, God's going to deliver you. He can instantly help you, and there's going to be a breakthrough, and it's like awesome, right? But at the same time, God says, I will walk with you no matter what, and I will deliver you through it. This is why I, I would say that a lot of people's life verse or one of their anchor verses is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. A lot of times it just comes down to praying through and say, God, I, I got to trust you. I got to trust you with all of my heart. I don't know what's going on here. And I think one of the, the, one of the most valuable um, statements and word here is, I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. Wow, we are just so tempted. If we could just, if I just knew why, if I just could have a little bit more clarity of why this pain was allowed in my life, then maybe I could do better. And, and sometimes there's no answer. God doesn't give us an answer. What he's asking is, would you trust me? Would you have faith that even though you don't have the answer, don't spend a lot of energy trying to figure it out. Just trust me. And not lean on your own understanding. This is what I want you to do. I want you to do your best to submit to him, to acknowledge him. He says, in all your ways, you just be obedient. You just keep trust. And this is hard. This is why it takes prayer to, to pray through. And I will make your path straight. Doesn't mean they're, they're all going to be downhill. It's gonna, a lot of times it's uphill, right? But I, I will see you through. And so... God asked us in those times and asked David, even though he didn't know when it was his agony would end, to trust God with the outcomes. But God, I hope this would be the outcomes. God said, would you trust me with the outcomes? I don't understand what's going on. Would you trust me with the outcomes? See, it's not a matter of being relieved of our problems. 
Um, it's a matter of relying that God's strength is going to be sufficient for us in our problems. And my friends, this is where faith is built. This is where we start having uh, some stories and assurance that God was true and he did see it through. And he helped me. David would continue on. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. May your spirit lead me to level ground. So he's come all the way from trusting, <clears throat> trusting with the outcomes, to now he's like, in the midst of this pit, the dark night of the soul, would you teach me? What, what, what do you need me to learn in here? And this is key if we want to grow our faith. Instead of just complaining and being mad at God, maybe God wants us to learn something in the midst of the pain in the valleys in our life. Is there anything that you need me to change? Maybe it's some stubbornness. Maybe it says, I always want to be in control or I have to have my dreams fulfilled. I have to have my way fulfilled or I don't want to uh, play ball with you, God. And God says, man, you got to come to a breaking point where you say, God, I, I want all of you, no matter what, teach me. Is this is what you're trying to, to teach me? C.S. Lewis wrote a book many years ago, The Problem of Pain. And in the book, he, he shared this. God whispers to us in our pleasures and speaks to our consciousness, but shouts in our pain. It is the megaphone to arouse a deaf world. I think God's always drawing people. I know he's drawing people. I know he loves people, but a lot of times like, I don't got time for you, God. I'm not listening. I'm not paying attention. And all of a sudden, Maybe he takes his hands off and he, and he allows some pain to come in our life. And this can be the megaphone that says, you need me. I want you to come home. I want you to place me as your savior and also as, as the Lord of your life. It was, um, I was reminded of this this last week. Uh, there was a wonderful lady in our church that passed away, Mary Lou Pearson. Just a blessing of, of a personality uh, spirit-filled life. And I met with her <clears throat> kids and was just sharing, asking about her faith story. I've only known her for uh, <clears throat> several years, but she, they were explaining that, you know, she, at the beginning, her and her husband, Larry, didn't really have a strong faith. Um, they kind of grew up Catholic and just kind of faded away and did their thing. And um, she was, uh, um, had a previous marriage, and she was a single mom, and Larry and her fell in love, and they were having a great, the great time, <clears throat> except for the day when uh, one of her children of four was struck by a car and killed. And they were explaining that that was a pivotal time in her life. I can't hardly imagine a 16-year-old uh, being killed. Um, and it happened the children said that we were uh, going to a church youth group down down the street, our friends, and they wasn't going to the church, but we would go there during the week and we were involved and they heard about our sister and they heard about uh, this tragedy. And so that church kind of reached out to my mom and our dad and, and kind of just loved them and invited them. And, and because of that tragedy, uh, they, mom, Mary Lou said to Larry, I, I think we need to go to church. I, I'm hurting Something's not right. And, and so they started coming to that church and they started hearing about the gospel and the love of Christ. And there is evil and there's good. And, and God helps us through our, our, the evil times and tough times in our life. And right there, she made a decision to solidify Jesus Christ as her Savior. 
and let him be downloaded in her soul and her life. And, and so did to Larry. And that made a difference. She didn't run away from God in her tragedy, but she ran towards God. And this word David is, in your unfailing love, silence my enemies, destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. Where do you have to be spiritually to come to that point to say, I am your servant. I'm going to quit battling you and, and uh, debating you, God. I am your servant. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was going through his, whole, his own hell week. It, it would be the, the holy week for us, but it wasn't super holy for God because Christ knew that what was in front of him was his crucible. It was the cross on Calvary. They tell us in the Gospels that on that Thursday night, he was praying on the backside of the Garden of Gethsemane, looking over Jerusalem, looking over Calvary. He knew what was before him, that someone would have to take the Roman cross and the physical and emotional, spiritual agony would be before him. And the Gospels tell us that he was negotiating with God if there's any way that this cup could pass. Is there any other thing? Because this is going to be excruciating. I'm not sure it's his, his faith. And, and just that decision was in the balance. But somewhere, Jesus Christ on our behalf prayed through and came to that servant's decision like David's decision. And he said those faithful words, not my will, but your will. I'm willing to be a servant for all the people 2,000 years from now who realize they need a savior, they need forgiveness of their sins, and my blood is the only qualified blood to atone and cover that sins. And he went to the cross for us. And now I present a Jesus to you that knows about pain. He's not some far off, aloof, kind of religious guy out there. He understands about rejection. He understands about physical agony and death and loss and grief in the darkest nights of his life. But he would pursue on and he promises that when you go through the dark nights, when you're under your faith crucible and when there's, there's sadness and hopelessness in your life, I will be with you. David started to understand when he surrendered the outcomes, when he put his full faith in God and said, I am your servants. You know the rest of the story. David would, uh, would press on and he eventually would take his kingdom and, and he would be one of the most iconic figures in the Old Testament. And the nation of Israel was never a more higher and more profitable, uh, more famous than under his rule. Because his willingness not to crack not to run from God in the darkest nights of his soul. And this is where you come in. Whatever you're going through, and maybe you're watching today, uh, uh, you might be like David, hiding out in caves, wondering what's going on, and God, why don't you deliver me? And this can even collapse our faith, or it can be uh, grow our faith to have us know that God has been faithful. See, we don't actually know what we believe until we claim what we claim to believe has been tested. Is your faith being tested? Do you know if someone else's faith is being tested? Four and a half years ago, there was a couple attending our church in their 50s. They were just beginning their empty nest uh, life. Um, Tim and Kim Burnt. Um, it was on a Monday night. 
when Mrs. Kim Burnt uh, heard a thud in the upper bedrooms. That didn't sound right. Her husband, Tim, at age of 55, was up there um, practicing guitar. He was probably going to be playing on a worship team that Sunday, but something wasn't right. She rushed up the stairs and found that her husband was laying there not breathing. He had a, a massive heart attack. She immediately called the EMTs. They, they got there as soon as they could. She did his best to keep him alive, and they did their best, and he was rushed off to the hospital. But by morning came, he was pronounced um, dead and, and passed away. Here's a lady that, that went to church. She, she volunteered at church. She, she knew Bible verses, right? And, and she had a smile on her face, but all of a sudden, the most tragic, shocking thing happened in her life. Tim, her husband, was her rock. He's the one that kind of did the books and cleaned the car and, and brought the income, and, and uh, he kind of led the way, and now what was she going to do, right? It was all nice Bible verses and churchy stuff, right? Until now, the only thing she had left was a faith that would be tested. Would God show up? Would God be her rock, her cornerstone, sustain, provide for her? And in those dark nights of loneliness and grief and loss and questions, the only person was there was the Holy Spirit of God, loving, putting his arm, trust in me, trust in me, don't give up on me. And through those times, little bit by little bit, God would show up, God would reassure, God would be her comforter, right? And provisions would come. And before she knew it, she took another step. She took another month. She took another year. And God would provide. And, and there was miracles and there was changes and there was adjustments and there was a, assurance through it all. Now, I just talked to her this last week, four and a half years later, there's been some incredible things happen in her life that she says that probably would have never happened if Tim wouldn't have passed away. I've had to rely on myself more than ever. I had to rely on God more than ever. And now God has put me in positions that I never thought I would be. Some, some provisional miracles. See, they moved down, uh, down to Texas. And um, now she is thriving in her faith. She's using that experience to bless others and help others. Uh, she is uh, creating an outline, maybe a book one day, of just uh, how to uh, help Christians just approach people that are going through grief and loss, right? Uh, what to say, what not to say. And she's even had a chance to address uh, the pastors. And, and now she has a ministry to uh, people of loss and, and widows and even single mothers. And God just uses her tremendously. It was in those crucibles. It was in that tragedy that either her faith could collapse or it was going to be a catalyst to say, man, God is faithful. And so now she has stories to say, no, I know God is real. I'm a believer in God. Do I wish that would have uh, um, never happened? Absolutely. But it did. And I had a choice to make. This morning, we want to give you an opportunity to maybe that this resonates with you. Uh, maybe you're going through a tragedy, a, a sadness, a, a pivotal time in, in your life. Um, we want to just give you like a five minutes worth of prayer if you would like it. Uh, um, I'm going to pray in just a little bit, and Pastor Taylor's going to come out and pray, uh, sing a little private song. And so if, if this is a place where you need to pray through, then you need to trust God with the outcomes. Maybe God is even like uh, 
asking you to wake up. He, he wants to teach you something. He wants you to hear something. Maybe you should just pause your life for just five minutes to pray alone, privately. So if you need to leave and, and you're good and you're, you're welcome to be dismissed after this prayer, I just ask that you, you dismiss quietly and reverently because there might be some people here that just need to linger, that just need to pray privately. Um, Pastor Peggy and I will be here just up front if there's any needs, but we're going to close it a little differently here at Faithbrook today. I have a feeling there might be somebody watching that you might be all alone in your living room or or a place where you just need to pray and say, God, that's me. Uh, I'm in the balance. Uh, I'm not sure. And I need to pray through and trust you, especially with the outcomes and to hear from you uh, right now. So let's close your eyes and pray. Gracious God, we don't pray to someone that doesn't understand human humanity and pain and suffering. You've been there. You went through some agonizing times and, and Heavenly Father, you lost a, a son. You saw your son being tortured and crucified on that cross and there is nothing you did, God, and you just allowed it. You know about suffering. So Father, in your spirit, in your love, we pray that our faith would hang on and not only just hang on, but to grow, to trust you like we saw David trust you. May it be unto me. I will be your servant. I will entrust my life and my pivotal circumstances to you. Help us to do that in your name. Amen. You're welcome to leave if you would like. You're welcome to stay if you'd like to just pray. Everyone just give each other some privacy.